Welcome to the Peak Multifamily Funding Podcast with your host, Anton Matley. This is the place to learn how to finance your multifamily deals and make it happen. Learn from experts how to finance your deals, avoid pitfalls, and build a multifamily portfolio. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Anton Madley. Welcome to uh, Ins and Outs of uh, Multifamily Finance. And I'm uh, very pleased to uh, welcome Mark Kenny. He is a very experienced uh, multifamily investor. He also has his own coaching program together his, with his wife, Tammy. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Anton. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge and uh, uh, hopefully uh, our listeners will will uh, get some benefit um, to hear from you what you have to share with us. Sounds good, Anton. Good. So uh, as always, it's uh, it's we start out uh, asking our guests uh, a little bit about their background, uh, where they're coming from, where they grew up and uh, how they started in real estate investing and ultimately ended up in multifamily. So can you give us a little bit of your uh, background? Yeah, Anton. I, I grew up in Michigan, pretty small town. I uh, went to uh, one of seven kids and ended up going to Michigan State University for school. Kind of grew up not really having much at all. Uh, we have a house and we had a place to live, which was, you know, in food, which is more than a lot of other people, but no extras. So pretty young. I, I was determined that I was not going to have my kids go through what I went through financially. So while I was in college, I was a senior in college, I started looking at real estate pretty heavily, along with my identical twin brother, Michael, that we were looking at properties together, and um, made an offer on a, a duplex and got accepted, and then my dad talked me out of it, and so I was extremely devastated, and then, uh, but not for long, a couple months later, I made another offer, or got the, got the deal, brother and I rehabbed it, best we could and um, started buying two, three, four unit properties while still working full-time consulting, traveling, typically Sunday through Friday at the time. So not a lot of time to come home and collect rents and evict tenants and fix toilets and everything else. So it was uh, not ideal for me. And I started doing um, more IT as a CPA for a while as well. And then about five years ago, I decided, probably my wife decided more than I did, but I decided that my IT business was too consuming since I was working about 80, 85 hours a week, uh, really ignoring my wife, I really was, and too busy, and so we decided we needed to get more heavily involved in larger properties, and we started buying, I mean, I said about five years ago, we're up to about 3,300 uh, units now. That's kind of where we're, and when you mentioned we have a coaching program, help other people buy multifamily as well, share a lot of tough lessons learned, uh, unfortunately, that we went through, um, but we can share those as well with people too to help them hopefully avoid that and go bigger faster. Yeah, very good. So as many of uh, the multifamily investors who started out really in residential, right, even if it's two or four units, it's still considered as residential. I assume that uh, particularly with a full-time job, it was really stressful to just manage these because you had to self-manage, I assume. Right? We did, unfortunately, <laughs> and that caused another prob other problems, but yeah, we self-managed. Yeah. Okay. So with those, uh, did you use your own money or did you already uh, syndicate at that point? That point in time, we used our own money. 
So my brother and I came in together. I really didn't even know about syndication at the time. That was actually over 25 years ago. So a long time ago, um, but it was all my own money along with my brothers. And uh, f for your first uh, multifamily project, did you immediately syndicate or did you uh, start out with your, with your own funds or just family and friends, kind of the, the money that is close to you? Or did you go with Oh, syndicate? we did. We syndicated, actually. It was a 64-unit deal. It was about a million-dollar raise, and it was in uh, Mesquite, Texas. So we, we syndicated. At that point in time, I was at a stage where I was, you know, making really good money doing IT and, and for me to be able to replace the IT income and, you know, eventually people run out of their own money and you can't, you know, it's hard to keep doing more and more deals. So that's when I decided that I had to syndicate and the first deal I did was a, was a syndication. Okay, very good. So uh, how, how were you able to, to raise the equity for, for that first deal? Did you network with, uh, with investors well ahead of time or were you able to, to quickly uh, raise the funds or was that a challenge initially? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if you wait till you need the money, it's definitely going to be a challenge for almost anybody. Uh, you know, I had IT background, so I had some guys that I knew from IT that were interested in investing. I was going to events and meetups and, and things like that. But it's a, it's a very good question. And th the fact is you need to be raising money well before you need the money, building those relationships. And I, I focus more on the relationships and less about raising the money. You need to understand, you know, when you talk to somebody, don't just try to get their money, but understand what they've invested in before, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. Um, because their past patterns will be a good indication of what they likely will be investing in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the stock market, they might say, well, I like that it's liquid, but I don't like it's a roller coaster. Well, multifamily in general isn't very liquid. Yeah. But it's generally not a roller coaster like the stock market either, at least not to those extremes. Um, and people are going to have stories, you know, hey, I, you know, my uncle invested in whatever and didn't do well and, so you need to hear those stories and it takes time. In some cases, the people might never invest and maybe you don't have anything that's good fit for them. So don't try to, don't really focus on just trying to get the money. I talk people out of deals. You know, I had a guy yesterday at Payne, he said he wanted to invest in a certain amount of money. And I asked him well, how much he plan on investing in multifamily. And it's the same amount of money he wants to put in one deal. I said, well, I, you know, I wouldn't suggest you do that. I would suggest you split it up over, you know, a couple of deals. So you're spreading your risk around because the best deal in the world going in could be the worst deal <laughs> once you're in. Yeah, that's very good advice, right? Uh, you mentioned stocks, right? Uh, obviously, stock market is a roller coaster. Uh, real estate tends to be much more of a of a stable environment, but uh, you never know what happens, right? So right. diversification is still uh, very crucial in in that segment too. So that's a very good point. So you are in a unique position that uh, compared to a lot of real estate investors that you have been doing it for quite some time, including through some downturns, uh, how, how have you been able to, to work through the downturns? Have you just held on to your properties? Like you mentioned, the two units and then four units. Did you hold that or did you uh, face some struggle during that period when it was a little bit of a tougher market? We had some that we held on to and then we had some that we sold before. And uh, we had one we sold also on a owner finance land contract. Um, which worked out pretty well uh, on that deal. 
Um, I think the biggest thing on, even as we go through the cycle and nobody really knows what's going to happen, but if, if it does happen again, um, really focus on cash flow, in my opinion. I just can't stress that enough. Stop focusing on the, the market appreciation that you have zero control over and nobody has control over it. So when you're analyzing a deal, looking at the deal, cash flow really is a key, in my mind. Can you sustain your payment nobody wants to lose money right everyone wants to make money but the fact is if you can sustain and, and keep your property during a downturn that's the key yes absolutely uh so obviously financing the debt piece is a crucial part and that's uh, very often a challenge for newcomers yeah. to multifamily financing so for your first property how were you able to get the debt uh, in place that one, so we had a partner on that deal too that had more experience than we did with larger properties. We did a, a Fannie Mae, it was a five year, no actually not, sorry, the first one actually was Freddie Mac. We did two, uh, two properties side by side, two Freddie Mac, small business loan, and um, it was three years interest only. And we've got uh, 80% um, leverage on that property so it was a and a rate was at the time maybe about four seven i don't remember exactly but uh, not not too bad about you know at the time it was it was a good rate for that property and we didn't have any issues really getting going through that process the the thing is with a freddie was that any rehab we needed to do needed to come out of pocket uh, but it was uh, a pretty well maintained property already so our rehab budget was fairly low it was about 2500 uh, uh, door so pretty low overall. Okay, very good. That's one of the disadvantages, obviously, of the small balance Freddie program that it doesn't allow rehab money to build in into the loan proceeds. The advantage is that you, even as a newcomer, that uh, if you have some experience and use a third-party management company, that you can actually start out with a small balance Freddie program. In your case, you still partnered up with another guarantor for that deal then? Yes, we yeah. did. Okay. That obviously helps. And I think that's uh, what we see over and over, right? Where you need to uh, build a team and work with other people to get deals done rather than trying to do everything by yourself, including the financing piece. So how, how have you built a team, whether it's uh, for the financing, uh, for the property inspection, property management, uh, as well as within your own investment group, uh, uh, what team members do you have that with whom you share the responsibilities? Yeah, so I think, you know, one good thing about building the team is that a lot of the pieces of the team can be reused across different properties at different states. So, for example, you know, you do mortgage mortgage broker, right? So you can focus anywhere in, in the U.S. So if I have Anton on my team, I don't have to go find another mortgage broker in Atlanta. So we own in, or in four states and have another one, another state that we're about ready to go under contract. Same with our attorney. But really for us, it came down to just you know, kind of asking around, going to events. Um, I probably have known you, I don't know how long we've known each other, four years or so? I don't yes. know exactly, but quite a while. Um, and just you know, kept seeing, seeing you around in, in, uh, in the market. But you have to get out there and do it and ask people what they think. So if we go into a new market, I'll actually ask the lenders who they like for a property management company. You know, end of the day, the lender has more invested typically than anybody else in the whole 
whole deal. So they're not going to likely recommend somebody they don't believe in. Um, so we, you know, just kind of getting out there asking people who they use. I mean, you could even post stuff on Facebook if you want to saying, Hey, I'm, I'm in a new market. Who would you recommend as a, as a profit management company, but you need to do your own due diligence. And just because someone's good at one area or asset class doesn't mean they're going to do well in another asset class. Um, investors just kind of getting out there. We do our own events. Now we have meetups that we do. We go to other people's events, we sponsor events and that's where we meet a lot of investors. Um, that way we have people on our team that will help with some of the social media aspects and, and other things like that come to events and help us. So it's, it's a, it's a process for sure. It can take a long time, but if you can kind of get associated or hooked up with somebody that already has a team in place, it's definitely going to make your life a lot easier because, you know, Atlanta, for example, we had to go through one property management company before we got one that we liked. Uh, same thing happened in Dallas. So now in our opinion, we have the you know, cream of the crop, but it was painful going through that process initially. And, and now somebody else could leverage the same teams we use and hopefully have less headaches and, you know, costs and everything else associated with it. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, I think you're also lucky that you have your wife on board, right? So you can share some of the responsibilities where you have each, yeah. each of you have different strengths. And uh, I think that helps you guys a lot too. Right? I share as much as I can, man. Uh, so yeah, there, there's no question we wouldn't be where we're at today without a doubt, without uh, Timmy or Tammy. The whole, the whole fact is that we're, we're great partners because a lot of things she's great at are things that I'm not really good at or don't like doing and, and kind of vice versa. So we've been able to leverage that kind of skill set. And I think when you're going to team up with somebody, whether it's your spouse or somebody else, make it very clear who's doing what, how things will be structured, um, have uh, attorney review the documents for you to make sure that, you know, you have outs one way or the other. Um, but it's, it's critical. And then understanding that just because you think your skill set is more important than somebody else's skill set, uh, the fact is they're doing something you can't do. So for me to sit here and say, well, I'm a financial guy. I can, I can analyze deals faster and, and better than Tammy and say, well, marketing is not important. Well, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, we wouldn't be where we're at without marketing or events are important. That, that's ridiculous too, because she's the one that coordinates all the events and, and things like that. So understand everyone brings a skill set. I think if you're trying to partner with somebody, my opinion is get knowledgeable in everything but get really really good at something whether that's raising capital or analyzing deals or finding deals uh, whatever it might be get really good at it mm. yeah that's a good point uh, it's particularly important when you go outside of your own uh, local market where you are physically located on a day-to-day basis right so you I believe uh, in Atlanta you have partnered up with uh, with uh, local people, right? That give you a lot of feedback on on the local markets, on the sub markets, on what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And I believe in Memphis, you have done the same thing, right? That's right. And you know, I talk to people a lot will, that will say, "Well, how do I go into a new market?" And there's certain ways to crack into it with brokers and things like that. And there, you know, some people will say, "Well, I can't go look at properties every week in a different market." And say, "Yeah, you, I wouldn't either." So we'll have, you know, generally speaking, property management companies are more than happy to go drive by a property and maybe even tour a property for you because they're, they want to get work there. So use your, your time and money and energy 
effectively and efficiently without trying to think that you have to jump on a plane to look at every single property. With that said, I think you're at a disadvantage when you're putting letter of intents in and things like that and you've never looked at the property. Um, I'm not saying you can't get it accepted. Uh, people get them accepted whatever, without looking at properties, but you're at a disadvantage. If you're really interested in a property, you're going to new market, don't think you're wasting your time by going there. Look at the property, meet the brokers, meet property management companies. That effort, you might not get the deal in the end, but the effort is typically well spent. Yeah, it's that's a very good point. We hear that over and over where the listing brokers want to understand how how much you actually looked at the property physically as well as from your underwriting perspective. Have you talked to lenders? Have you talked to a GC about uh, the rehab work that needs to be done? And I think through that, you show a lot of uh, competence, right? When you have done it and you're looking much more serious. So that's a very good point. Right? Yeah. And, you know, not to, I don't want to be critical of the people, but there was a post a couple of days ago by an educator, um, pretty well-known educator talking about, you know, submitted LOI in 10 minutes, you know, and it's just people need to stop doing that because you're going to lose all credibility with the brokers and sellers. And it's a very short-sighted mindset. The fact is you do need to spend time before I submit an LOI. I need to talk to Anton because you know what? People think if you get some sort of leverage, say 75, 80% in Dallas, we'll go to Oklahoma and you're going to you know, likely get less, at least at a starting point, but you need to know that. So Anton can, can kind of, you know, you can talk through that, right? And say, well, here's, most likely situation, talk to a property management company about a budget. What's a rehab budget for it? What's operational budget? You need to do those things, in my opinion, before you start submitting LOIs to, to brokers. Yeah. Uh, I know some have that strategy, right? It's just throwing as many darts at the wall as they can. But as you mentioned, right, if, if you do it without truly knowing the property, it really, as soon as they ask you questions and you do not really know the answers to it, you're immediately off the the short list of prospective buyers, right? Yeah, so we're, we're selling a property right now in Atlanta and I had a guy, uh, actually one of the investors in the group that was looking at potentially uh, buying it through another group and you know he submitted an LOI and I said, it, it's fine. I said, but it, it's meaningless to me right now. You haven't looked at the property. So yeah. he actually went, he flew down there and with you know, a couple other guys to look at it. But me as a seller, I would never award an LOI to somebody who hadn't looked at the property. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you have done uh, tons of investments, right? Uh, you have started out maybe five years ago on the multifamily side and you're now at uh, roughly 3,400, 3,500 units. So that's a, a very fast uh, growth mode you have gone through here. And so I, I think it would be helpful to share with our listeners uh, what uh, some tips of what worked well, what didn't work well. What, what are some of the, the key highlights of where we think that really worked well for you? Yeah, I would say, you know, being easy to work with, not a pushover, but easy to work with is, is a, a important aspect of this business and building the relationship with brokers. So people all the time will say, well, I'm just going to call a bunch of sellers. And uh, it's, it's unusual for you to get, let's say, a hundred plus unit deal going directly to a seller. Not impossible, but it's unusual. So would I rather spend my time trying to work with, you know, a few sellers here and there that can then go off and list the property or build a relationship with brokers. The ability to close a deal is 
you know, almost number one on the list. So once you, when, even went into a new market, we went into Memphis, took us a little bit, then we started closing deals. Now we get deals all the time. Same with Atlanta, we get, you know, pocket listing or off market deals all the time because we've been able to go in there and close. For me, it was, um, it was really having partners, you know, like you mentioned before, Anton, about having a team in place, that's critical. And being able to offer something of value to somebody else, uh, people downplays this. They think they're going to go out and find their own deal and, and, and do it on their own. And it's, it's possible, right? But if you have no message and no story, I didn't have a very good story initially either. That's why I partnered with somebody and I could leverage their story. So number one to me is have either a story yourself you can tell that's legit or have somebody else's story you can leverage. And it's okay to, to tell investors and other people, hey, I'm new at this, but I'm one, one, pe one person on the team I'm working with, you know, Anton and Anton owns whatever it is, you know, 2000 units. I can leverage your, your track record. Um, the downside of that is that usually when you have a partner, you're looked at, it's kind of one and the same. So anything they do good, you look good. Anything they do bad, you can be look, looked at bad. And I have, I mentioned I have identical twin brothers. So I use the <laughs> analogy that I never did anything wrong as a kid ever. And about, he did all the time and uh, I got blamed for it. It was always Mark and Michael. So people look at us together and you're partnering with somebody that's going to happen. So, so make sure the partner you're, you're with has the same goals as you. But in my opinion too, you, you kind of have to treat people the same or similar ways too. So that's, that's important. You need to have the same mindset of how you're going to treat people in the marketplace. That's a very good point, right? Uh, you, uh, throughout uh, what you have been saying, the, the key element really is so you need to have the right team in place, right? Uh, at the same time, uh, choose your team members wisely. <laughs> that's, that's key. Yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what uh, did not so work so well uh, for you and why do you think it didn't work out well? Um, initially, what didn't work out very well was I was uh, probably over, over analyzing stuff to death. I, I do have a financial background with CPA and things like that. And I, was, I would submit an LOI, letter of intent, and I would kind of wait to see what happens. So maybe two, three weeks go by and like, oh, I didn't get it. So now I need to like, so I was, I was um, very nervous about submitting more than one LOI at the time. And I'm not giving the impression just go submit a bunch of letter of intents, but I would say it's okay to have more than one out there at a time, my opinion, because if you don't, you, you can't just stop because you're gonna waste a lot of time by doing that. What didn't work well, you know, we, we bought into a, it's a little bit complicated story, but we bought into a existing LLC. So a guy that uh, we had partnered with before owned a property and he had a LLC or he set up for that. And then we bought into LLC with new, new investors and that worked out horribly bad uh, for us. And I personally would never do that again. The, the, the fact around that is that you can have all the language you want in a contract, but anyone that's going to come after, somebody they're going to come after the LLC. In this particular example, the, the individual had partnered with, uh, didn't record some stuff on the books and had some, just some, you know, uh, without going all the details. Well, after a little bit, after a couple months, all these things started popping up from well before I was involved in it. But the fact is now it's my responsibility. He's been since removed and now it's my responsibility. So creditors from eight, nine months ago, 
before I was ever involved in the project are now my problem. So my recommendation is don't ever buy into an existing LLC ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, very good point, right? Uh, there is a reason why we talk about asset purchases rather than uh, uh, corporate purchases when it comes to uh, real estate, that that's really the normal uh, course of business. Obviously, in your case, that uh, uh, you hope that it would work out, but uh, you certainly have, have learned your lesson there, right? And I think it's a very important lesson also for our listeners that to really understand yeah. The difference between an asset purchase where you start out with a clean slate and you set up your own LLC or partnership or whatever it is, whereas compared to what you have done buying into an existing entity and you just do not know what skeletons they are in, in that entity. Right? Very good point. I did it once. Yeah, I did it once and only once. And the only other quick thing I would mention from a really learn, you know, hard lesson learned uh, we had a, a contract that we went under contract with and we were still negotiating with a seller. The seller was, you know, essentially stringing us along saying they're going to reduce the price. They're going to, we had some money. It was going to go hard. And um, they said, we said, we put all the money in there. We don't want any money to go hard. So here's my point on it overall is if you're in a situation and you're in a, a contract situation and you own, you'll earn us money or it may be, uh, you need to terminate. Either don't sign the contract. If you're still negotiating with somebody, it's strange. Just don't don't sign a contract and negotiations done. Don't be scared about losing the, the project. You're better off losing the project than trying to negotiate because end of the day, the contract is a contract. And I would say um, don't go into it thinking that somehow you're going to get the money back from somebody because you're going to spend thousands of dollars on legal fees doing that in time, money, energy. Make sure everything is clean and solid before you sign the contract. Yeah. Very good point. Do you have any tips uh, specific to financing properties? What worked well for you? What didn't work so well? Um, talk to Anton. That's one tip. <laughs> That's probably number one on the list. Uh, what's worked for well for us and has not worked well? In general, with the agency financing, it's been pretty smooth. But you still have to be careful. You know, you could be a few days before closing and the lender changes something either they change the, the interest only period or they change the proceeds to be a little bit lower, whatever it may be. So be aware that lenders have a lot of uh, clout. I would say uh, we've done several bridge loans and we'll continue to do them. But I would say a couple things about bridge loans. One, they're a lot more expensive, not just by rate, but everything's more expensive. The attorney fees are more expensive, right? The application fee is three, four times as much. They're notorious for changing terms, in my experience, a few days before closing. So be cautious of that. I think, you know, again, they can be a great uh, avenue, but just be aware of, of that, that it's likely that they can change more than they would on an ABC like a Fannie or Freddie, from my experience. Yeah, uh, very good point. Bridge loans, as you mentioned, they are very expensive. They make sense as long as the deal makes sense, right? But uh, if you're if you feel that uh, the 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 cost of the bridge loan is just too expensive and it impacts your returns, then the deal probably doesn't have enough meat on the bone to justify a bridge loan, right? That's right. You have to review once again whether your offering really should be reduced to so that it can support a bridge loan, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, a third tip I would say, Anton, just because it, I want to get that out there too, is 
if you're going to work with a mortgage broker, let's say Anton, for example, work with Anton on a deal. If you want to work with someone else, different deals, your choice, right? But if you pick Anton and work a deal for you, don't go start talking to other mortgage brokers and then now shop it around. And the, the, the fact is, one, Anton or any other mortgage broker isn't going to like it, rightfully so. And two, lenders don't like it. So pick your horse and, and ride them, right, through that deal. Unless they're just doing something completely, you know, they shouldn't be doing. But um, don't try to shop it. The the fact is, you're gonna you're gonna just uh, tick people off by doing that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. Obviously, if, uh, you pay a mortgage broker for the services, but the mortgage broker really does the shopping for you with lenders, right? So uh, I'd say more even more than the shopping. In town too, just to kind of piggyback on that, they they fight for you, right? They're your, sure. they're your advocate. So, and Anton's gonna have a lot more clout talking to a lender than, than I would just directly because he does multiple, multiple deals. I do a lot of deals, but Anton's going to do a lot more deals in volume than I can. Yeah, very good point. Uh, I think uh, to toss that also in when it comes to insurance quotes, uh, yes. we, we see that all the time where, where newcomers shop uh, with multiple insurance brokers, not recognizing that you actually lock out some carriers when you do that. So there it's the same thing, right? So you think you do the right thing, but ultimately you actually damage the ability. To get <laughs> That's the best exactly price. right. Yeah, good point. So do you have uh, any uh, books and tools and websites that you could recommend? Obviously, your own, right? So you, yeah, uh, you're yeah. an investor, but you're also a coach. So that uh, I right. think it's only fair that you have a chance to, to mention your uh, your own website. But besides that, what, what else would you say has, has helped you and potentially helps uh, investors in their journey? Yeah, so... Um, you know, uh, bigger pockets. A lot of good good information out there um, for especially for newer people. Um, they can you could consume your entire day going through there, frankly, if you wanted to. So I would say you know pick amount of time you're going to spend on it. Uh, be active out there if you can. Um, you know, I it's strange. You know, I'll Google a lot of things. I mean, it's amazing how much you can find just by googling. Really can. I, I research up all the time. And Facebook. I mean, you can post questions. There's community, we have our own community, Think Multifamily um, Facebook page and uh, group. And there are other ones out there that are really good as well. But that's a good place to post questions. You know, I'd say if it's a <laughs> real estate multifamily group, you know, stop, stop posting your Bitcoin and your couch that's for sale. You know, post things that are actually relevant to real estate. Um, but it's, it's a good place to get people's feedback. Um, LinkedIn is as well. I don't see as much activity. I don't right now engagement in LinkedIn as I do in Facebook. Um, but those are good sources and just, um, and then ask around, you go to events, ask people, what are they doing? You be surprised at how much stuff you can learn just by asking people what they've done in the past. Yeah. Have you had a deal that, uh, went sour, uh, that you would like to share with, with our listeners and, uh, hopefully that they also can learn from it. You, you already mentioned one with the LLC, uh, but besides that, uh, may, maybe less just uh, the structure of the deal itself, like going and buying a, a, into an entity, but rather on a, on a real estate level side. What went sour and why? And what could right. we learn from that? Yeah, so fortunately, you know, although it's unfortunate that one deal hasn't gone well, it's the only deal that we personally had an issue with where we've been involved as the, the sponsors or, or leads on it. 
I had one uh, hotel I invested in passively. So I wasn't the lead on it, but I invested as a passive investor and that went south. And end of the day, it was, now I've, I've seen this more and more, it was not a property issue, it was an operator issue. Um, just some of the things they were doing and, and not telling us and not disclosing and uh, they weren't experienced enough operators at the time. They just, it was really their first hotel. So, you know, I shouldn't have probably invested in that, but I knew them and invested in it. I did a second hotel that worked out well, um, but key to that is you need to invest more in the lead or sponsor initially, and then look at the deal secondarily. Don't look at a deal that you looks really good on paper, because I can make any deal in the world look good on paper, and anyone else can too. Make sure the operator, and there's certain ways to, to vet, I think on our website too, we have like 22 questions you can ask a, you know, a syndicator to kind of get their background. You might, some of the responses you get doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're bad. If someone says, well, hey, I, you know, whatever, I was, couldn't sign on the loan, I couldn't do this, you want to follow up further on those and, and get an explanation. There might be a good explanation for that. But rely on the operator uh, is, is key. And I, I rely on the operator that wasn't a good operator, what I did. Yeah, very good point. I think to, to summarize what you have explained, why right, to really invest uh, with, with people that you can trust that they do the right thing. A property may not perform as well as what you expect, but at least you know that whoever you trust the money with, that they really do their best to, 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 get, uh, to get a success out of the investment, right? And even if the property is the best, if someone doesn't really have... Uh, uh, the right mindset, you may still lose the money, right? And that, that's that, right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people look at other investments and look at real estate and the, the chances of, you know, people losing is pretty low. People lose money. And I mean, look at, I mean, Facebook, $150 billion, you know, yesterday, Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, now that's on paper, right? But I'm, I'm using it as an example, 20% in one day that you, you're not going to lose 20% of your real estate in one day, it's just not going to happen. I'm not saying you can't lose money, but the fact is you don't have that roller coaster in those drastic peaks daily like you do in other investments. And, and uh, you know, you can't, you can't live in the stock market. You know, you can't drink it, you can't eat it, right? Same with gold, silver, and everything else. I'm not saying those are bad investments, but the fact is everyone has to interact with real estate. And it's the money that they spend on real estate is money to live. All these other investments out there, for the most part, our discretionary income. I only invest in them if I have extra money. Real estate, I invest in it in order to live. Yeah, that's a very good point. Right? Uh, I think also uh, learning from that experience you've had with that hotel, right? it's, uh, it's, it sounds like similar to multifamily, but at the end of the day, it's a very different type of business. It's much more operational heavy. I don't know in this case whether it was a major flag or whether it was uh, an on-flag property, uh, which makes it even more difficult for someone to be successful. Yeah. Uh, it's completely different, like you said. And it's also, this was several years ago, it's also very cash intensive. So, you know, someone had been, that was working the front desk, stole money, went to jail for six months for doing it. But uh, it was a little bit ironic slash ridiculous that the, a person operating the sponsor of the lead actually hired a convicted uh, felon who was convicted for laundering money. So yeah, a little strange to me. That's but, crazy. <laughs> yeah. But they said they didn't do it. So 
yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a good point. I think that brings us back to the multi- No joke. You can't make these stories up. <laughs> yeah, you definitely can't, yeah. right? But yeah. then again, right, it, it right. can happen to you on the multifamily side too if you're not careful with the property manager. So hiring the, the best uh, that you can afford to hire uh, is, very, is very important there too so that you have a property manager whom you can trust. Right? Yeah, I think hiring personally, I think hiring a larger outfit, if you want to say, is, is ideal. And uh, we're doing this, some of our properties right now, doing sporadic audits. So for example, pulling, getting invoices, following them through from the invoice to the general ledger, calling the vendor, double checking the invoice number, double checking the dollar amount, things like that um, to keep your property management company honest. A very good point. Uh, how, how has the property management company responded to your audit uh, requests? Because some of them just do not like it, right? Uh, so it's 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 a uh, good to hear. They're not, yeah. <laughs> they don't seem to be big fans of it. Um, at least one one of the pot management companies, and you know, to the point where, why well, I, I hope you're not really asking to see the checks from the from the bank. And yes, we are actually looking <laughs> to see the checks to the bank. Why wouldn't we? You know, I can put anything I want on a document, a financial statement. So um, they've been working with us though. Uh, overall, I'm sure they're not real. It does take their time, actually. In, in their opinion, it might be like a, a waste of their time. But it gives us the comfort level, at least, that we're doing doing those double checks. Yeah, okay. I, I think here it also helps when you use the same property management company or other service providers on an ongoing basis. They are more open to these type of requests, right? Because they know that you're a serious owner and uh, they want to, to keep you as a, as a client. That's right. You have a lot more clout when you're, you know, if I use the same people I like over and over again, I'm going to have a lot more clout and, and uh, influence over sure. those providers. Yeah. Very good, Mark. Uh, really appreciate all uh, uh, your time and answering all the questions. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners really have learned uh, quite a bit from you and from from the good and the bad that you have experienced. Yeah. Uh, can you tell our listeners how they can reach you, uh, your website and email, social media? Sure, yeah, so websites, thinkmultifamily.com. My email is mark, M-A-R-K, at thinkmultifamily.com. We're on all the social. If you, if you uh, search for Think Multifamily, you'll see us out there as well. Um, and then we have uh, meetups that we do, actually in several states now they're all under think multifamily as well then we have events that we do primarily in dallas um, so if you visit our website under events you'll see upcoming events and anton's typically there every event uh, as well um, but it's a really good place to one learn but really more importantly is to network and meet new people and develop uh, relationships yeah, very good. So uh, you, you, the next larger event you have in September, right? Right. It's in Dallas, September 22nd, September 23rd, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, very good. So uh, we, we will post uh, the information uh, underneath uh, the podcast so that uh, our listeners can uh, reach out to you uh, for that if they have an interest. I have uh, met a lot of coaches over the years, right? And I must say that you, Mark, do a, a really unique job and a thorough job in, in coaching 
uh, students, uh, some of the other coaches out there, they do mostly uh, video coaching and pumping out uh, videos and think that their students then are prepared to multifamily investing. Right. Uh, uh, what I really like about Mark is that he is really helping one-on-one his students and that the students uh, get your knowledge rather than just uh, a generic knowledge. We all can read books, right? We can all watch videos, mm-hmm. but ultimately, particularly in that segment, it sounds very easy, but it it has a lot of details that one has to consider. And I think you do an excellent job in in getting your students uh, up to speed and guiding them along from the beginning to the end of a deal. So really, uh, really appreciate that, how you, how you do that. And again, congratulations to, to your success with, with your own investing, right? Uh, getting yeah. from to roughly three and a half thousand units in four or five years is, is, is very, uh, very impressive. And also congratulations of getting your uh, coaching program up and running uh, and helping other investors in uh, uh, getting in into that uh, segment. So, yeah, thanks, Anton. Thanks again, Mark, uh, for, for joining us. And uh, again, all the best and uh, look forward to see you again soon. Thanks, Anton. Okay. Peak Multifamily Funding thanks you for listening. Tune in each week for advice and interviews that will help you bring your multifamily portfolio to the next level. Are you ready to make it happen? Go to peakmff.com to sign up for our multifamily finance newsletter and the link to our Facebook page.